you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Dad in the room with you now. Could you just reach across and just give his hand a squeeze or, or pat him on the shoulder or maybe punch him in the arm and uh, say thank you to him for being your dad. As a dad myself, I know we make tons of mistakes, but um, we fill a really important role in families along with the mums. And it's great that we honour dads today. So wherever you are, dad, if this is you, uh, know that we love you and we're thankful for you. 
And uh, my dad, I think you're watching in Ballarat this morning. Thank you for being my dad and for being a good dad for all those years, for sticking with us and providing that wonderful uh, start to life that you did. So let's pray and then we're going to look at God's Word. Father, we thank you this morning for dads. We thank you for your Word. God, you're our great Heavenly Father, the perfect Father. And we come to you this morning and we pray that for our good and for your glory, you would open your word to us that our hearts may be touched and that your name would be lifted high. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And God's people with a very loud voice at home said, Amen. I hope you said Amen. <laughs> well, I love to hear um, wonderful stories of God's saving power. We call them in church ease language testimonies. Testimonies of the way God has worked in our lives. And look, there's a lot of ones I could share with you from our church, but there is one uh, actually from a guy who spoke in our church, not in our church, which always grabs me. It's the true story of a guy in Geelong. Uh, he is doing his day job, earning a crust for the family, well, actually for himself at that point. And his job is a male stripper. So he is going around the country and stripping for a living. Now, as he does that, uh, obviously far from God, in an extraordinary series of circumstances, God reaches into him as he's on tour, doing his job, and he saves him. And he ends up saving the woman that was one of the women that was watching the show, who was also converted. It's a wonderful story of God's grace. And, And I reckon, like you, when you hear stories like that, You go, it's extraordinary that our God is a God who reaches to people who are far off and He draws them close. No one is too far from God. And in this series of encounters with Jesus, we're going to see people that were a long way from God brought very close. And we rejoice as we hear those testimonies. But, but, I suspect for some of us, it leaves us with a vague sense of FOMO. Fear of missing out. Because for some of us, if we were to tell our testimonies, it would go something like this. Well, I was born into a Christian family, and um, mum and dad used to take me along to creche at church, and then to Sunday school city kids, and then to youth group, and, and then, well, I think I've been a Christian my whole life. There's no time that I remember when I didn't know Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's my testimony. Boring. You'd imagine people listening like, yeah, okay, that's a great testimony. Now bring back the stripper. Isn't it true there is a sense for some of us that we think, I don't really have a great story. Well, if that's you this morning, or if that's a little bit of you this morning, you need to hear these four encounters with Jesus. Because if you listen and you're in that place in any sense, they are going to make your heart sing. Four encounters with Jesus. Um, I think if you've got your Bibles, go a little bit ahead because I'm going to be looking at, at one right at the end of this passage too. Four encounters, let me introduce them to you. We meet the first two people in chapters 2 verse 22. And we're told in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, that when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that's Jesus, 
up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So who is they that are bringing Jesus to Jerusalem? Well, they includes Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. Now, what was Joseph like? What kind of man was he? What kind of dad was he? Well, we get a snapshot into what this man Joseph was like in the moment when he faces the greatest crisis, I think, of his life. He discovers that his wife is pregnant, but he is not the father. Now, obviously, on Father's Day, on any day, this uh, for a man is devastating. It's a huge betrayal. Uh, Joseph, as a, a husband, would have been understandable for him to be furious, to be enraged. And in that time and that culture, he would have had every excuse for vengeance and punishment on the woman who had betrayed him to such an extent as this. But this is what we're told about this man, Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 tells us this. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. The Bible says that Joseph was a just man. The word used for just is, is righteous. He was a good, gentle, righteous man, and he lived that out in his relationship with others. That's the first character we meet here is Joseph, Jesus' father. The second part of they is, of course, Jesus' mother, Mary. Now, this young girl uh, would have been probably in our junior youth here at City on a Hill. She was maybe 12 or 13 years old when the angel comes to her and tells her, hey, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. And this young girl listens uh, with faith and trust. But we see a real insight into her character here. Um, when the angel reveals this news to her and she responds in faith, she then sings this extraordinary song, which we call the Magnificat. We can find it in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Go and have a read of it sometime, and you'll see here that this young girl expresses in, in beautiful theological language of trust, saturated with Scripture and devotion to God, her heart. The second person that we meet, we met Joseph, the righteous man. Now we meet Mary. Now she's not described as sinless in the Bible, but here is a woman of extraordinary righteousness. So the first two people we meet are both righteous, and it should come as no surprise, perhaps, that we find these two ordinary but godly and righteous people doing what righteous people do, following God's law in obedience. In the first two verses, 22 to 24 of chapter 2, first three verses, we see these righteous couple um, obeying all of the requirements of the law. Three times the law is mentioned in these verses. The law of Moses, the law of God, uh, the law of the Lord. And in Jerusalem, as our scene today begins, we see Joseph and Mary doing what they were required to do, following all the, all the procedures and purification laws required in the temple in Jerusalem. Righteous people living righteous lives. So Mary, Joseph. Thirdly, we meet 
Simeon. And verse 25 tells us exactly what Simeon is like. This man was righteous and devout. Simeon, we're told, is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's living in obedience to God day by day. And God has honored him by telling him that he will not die until he sees God's Messiah in the flesh. And one ordinary day, as Simeon is going about his life, the Spirit moves in his heart and it tells him to come into the temple in Jerusalem. And when he comes into the temple in Jerusalem, it it draws him towards one couple, and maybe there were hundreds, even thousands of couples gathered in the temple that day, going through the rites of the laws of Moses. But the Lord brings him, the Spirit brings him to one young couple, and then he takes that little baby in his arm and his heart explodes with joy. Simeon, a righteous man, honored by God. And finally, and uh, the reading didn't include her this morning, but I couldn't leave her out, a woman called Anna. And we read about her in the end of uh, the reading in this chapter. We're, We're told that Anna is a very, very old woman. Uh, Most probably, she's 105 years old when this scene at the temple occurs. And we learn that this woman, Anna, has been faithful in her marriage until her husband died. And then for the next 84 years, she has lived mostly of her life in the temple. And this is the way she's described, verse 37. This is what she's doing, fasting, praying, worshipping day and night. This old, old woman has got a whole focus and direction fixed upon God as she, as she lives out her life in obedience. She is a, a righteous woman and she comes into the temple and she sees the child and she rejoices. So four people encountering Jesus in Luke chapter 2. Four different people and they are very different. We think of Mary, who was young, Anna, who was very old. Uh, we think of um, Joseph and Mary, who lived in a backwater town. We think of Simeon and Anna, who lived in the capital of Jerusalem. We think of some, two of them were married, two of them were single, as far as, we, as far as we know. But these four different people have one thing in common, and it's this. They all encountered Jesus, and the other thing they have in common is that they were righteous. All of them were good and righteous people. You can imagine them telling their stories. There's no stories of immoral immoral sex or crime or drugs or or, uh, imprisonments for theft or any of those things. Their stories, as far as we know, would have gone like, well, I don't know if there was a time that I, I didn't know God. I followed God all of my life. So four encounters we see here in Luke chapter 2. Now, what I want to ask as uh, we conclude, uh, and we well, the second part of our time together, to conclude was a bit positive. Don't, don't get your hopes up. Uh, we've got to look first at um, and what the, actual, the Holy Spirit would be wanting to say to us this morning through those encounters. And there's four things at least that I think that God would want to say to you and I. Now, on one level, as we look at these encounters, we need to be careful because... Uh, These four righteous people who are brought to this time, the point is really not focused on how righteous they are, right? The point is that they 
testify to, the, to who Jesus is, right? That in, they're not the main players in this drama. Jesus is the main player, that little baby in his mother's arms. But we do learn some things that are important from these four characters. And the first thing that I'd like us to see, and I think that it's hard to get away from it in the text, is that there is a reward for righteousness. These four people were righteousness and they were extravagantly rewarded. That None of them were rich or powerful. In fact, we know from the text that because Mary and Joseph offered up the turtle doves instead of the lamb, which was the the sacrifice for those who had means. They were, Mary and Joseph were poor. None of them were powerful. Yet each of these four people were privileged to encounter Jesus. They were privileged to, to be a, a testifying to who he was. Now, now, don't miss this. Jesus came to save not the righteous, but sinners. That is going to be the focus of the Lord Jesus in his ministry. But let's not somehow turn that on its head and say that Jesus came to only save the righteous, only save sinners, but not righteous. Jesus, the righteous people, those who are living in obedience to his law, walking in relationship with him, are not somehow afterthoughts in the mission of Jesus. And these events here show us that the, the reward for righteousness is a rich one. And you say, well, Andrew, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, how do you know that? I know it because Jesus himself said it. You remember not so long ago, we went through the Beatitudes? And Jesus says, blessed are those, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness, for they shall be filled, Jesus said. Mary, Joseph, Simeon, Anna, These four people thirsting for righteousness, living in righteousness, and in this encounter with Jesus, they are filled. And there is a truth that continues today. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will still be filled. So I want to say to you, if you're someone that struggles with fear of missing out about your testimony that you haven't got any of, of the amazing stories that you hear other people share about how, how, how Jesus saved them, they encountered Jesus in all of this darkness and, and sin and obvious um, wrong living, I want to say to you that you've missed nothing. If you're someone whose testimony sounds boring, it's not boring. That's the devil's talk. There's a reward for living a righteous and good life. And Jesus says, you, you hunger and thirst for righteousness? You'll be filled. That's the first thing. Secondly, uh, these encounters show us something about righteous people. Jesus had a lot to say about people who looked righteous on the outside, who, who went about their lives in such a way that their, their experience, the um, perception of their lives, their, their Facebook images of their lives were very, very righteous. But on the inside, Jesus spoke of such people as whitewashed tombs, a really good social media profile, but the reality is very far from righteous. And I find it interesting in this chapter that we see these four genuinely righteous people and they share something in common, especially Simeon and Anna. 
And that thing that they share in common in their righteousness is a desire that other people would know it too. Not their righteousness, but other people would know the the focus of it, and that is God. And in this case, it's the encounter with Jesus. And look look at Simeon. Look look at what he cries. As he comes into that temple, this righteous man, we don't know much about him, but he comes into this temple and he, he takes baby Jesus in his arms and the Holy Spirit moves on him and he says this, listen, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. As he holds that baby, you notice what he says? He doesn't just say, yes, it's glory for Israel. We would have expected that. He says, you have prepared it in the sight of everybody, of all people, and it's the revelation to the Gentiles. The revelation, the word used is the word we get from, for revelation in the Bible. It means a revealing of what is hidden. Simeon holding Jesus and he says, yes, this is for the Gentiles as well. The whole world are going to see what was hidden is now revealed. And he rejoices in it. And Anna, uh, in verse 38, she's exactly the same. It tells us that she, this old woman, I love to picture her here, 105 years old, little old woman, maybe with a stick, and she's out telling everybody about Jesus. It says, verse 38, she began to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, these righteous people don't just have a a righteousness that is is based on a lack of sinful behavior. There's a righteousness that explodes in love for other people, and especially that other people would meet the one who has saved them. This, uh, This challenges me. Because I know for myself, and I suspect it could be true for you, that for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, whenever we hear the call to evangelism, to speaking to others about Jesus, we can feel a little bit guilty and we think, oh no, it's something that we've got to do. We've got to evangelize. We've got to tell people about Jesus. We'd rather not, but, but we sort of think we should. But there's, there's something wrong with our, our hearts and wrong with our righteousness when that becomes the case, isn't there? And we see these four people, especially Simeon and Anna, though. They, they receive the fulfillment of what was promised to them, especially Simeon. He, he was told he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah. And when he sees the Messiah, what does he do? He, he, he doesn't just go, oh, I, I can die now, I'm done. He immediately shares that news with others. Righteous people long to see God's name glorified. And the best way that that happens is by more people of all nations and backgrounds coming to experience the goodness of God revealed in the encounter with Jesus Christ. Well, thirdly, all of these righteous people, they long for the consolation and the redemption of God's people, Israel. And in the time of Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna, God's people desperately needed redemption and consolation. Picture for a moment uh, in that temple, Mary and Joseph coming up to the temple, they would have come through the Roman checkpoints. Around the temple would be the Roman guards. 
oppressing, dominating, eliminating the freedom to worship of God's people everywhere, even in the temple, in the heart of Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna would watch them day by day, crushing. And Simeon and Anna would also see in the temple, they would see that the hypocrisy in so many of God's leaders, the, the dead emptiness and formalism and the political bickering. Um, and, and they would have also seen that the Jew betraying Jew, some working for the Romans. They, they would have seen um, all around things that would cause them grief, an enslaved people, divided. God's people were in a desperate state and they longed for consolation that this baby Jesus would bring. But when Jesus does appear, he is not some, and he is consolation, and he is hope and joy, but it's not some kind of panacea where all of the troubles of the world immediately vanish because they've encountered Jesus. Simeon, as he's prophesied and led by the Holy Spirit to prophesy, he, he says it's very interesting. We would have expected um, lots of encouraging things, and that, that's there. But the Holy Spirit moves Simeon, and he says, this child, Jesus, the one he's holding, is destined to be both the falling and the rising of many in Israel. So many of God's people in Israel are going to fall because of this child. Some will rise, but some will fall. He said that this child, Jesus, this one, this consolation and a hope, is going to divide the nation into two. Those who accept him and those who reject him. This child, Jesus, will one day say, don't think I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring the sword. Brother against brother. Father against son. The consolation and the redemption of Israel has come in Jesus. But it's not going to be easy for those who were longing for it. And Simeon, as you can imagine him looking at Mary holding, as she watches this, this man hold her little child and she rejoices in, in, in that he is the one, he's, as, as the angel had promised, it's happening. You see, it turn to her and say, Mary, a sword will pierce your own heart because of this child. And the word that Simeon uses for sword is not the narrow kind of rapier idea. It, it was the big, broad-bladed weapon. And he said, it's going to thrust through your heart. This child, Jesus, is going to bring you extreme emotional pain. The righteousness of Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna is going to be righteousness in the real world. And the encounter they have with Jesus, at least for Mary and Joseph, will bring them pain. Well, today, the truth is the righteousness, the righteous people still mourn for the sake and for the condition of God's people. Think of God's church today, the holy church of Jesus. What is it like? There is a lot to mourn. There is a lot in which we need consolation and redemption. Look, look around at the church. So much dead religion, 
So many parts of the church captured by power or privilege or in other cases, celebrity culture leading to a shallow understanding. So, so many cases in our church of people that have been wounded and broken within the church. And then we think of, of large segments of the church capitulating to the pressures of society on things like homosexuality, saying it's no longer a problem, no longer an issue. I think now even in this time that we face of, of the, the tensions and the divisions within the church on something like, like what to do with masks and what to do with vaccines and, and how do we respond to that. There is much to grieve about the state of God's holy church, Jesus' holy church in this world. We should long for consolation and redemption. We should long for that one word which describes so much that we long for, which is revival. We long for the consolation. And, and what we see in Simeon and Anna especially, and in Joseph and Mary, is the fact that, that even though God's righteous ones are living in this state, longing to see his consolation, and knowing that it actually comes in Jesus, that here and now there is still grief. And if, if you are at this moment grieving, if you grieve for the state of God's people, and you grieve for the state of the church, then, then that is not somehow an act of unrighteousness. That actually might show that you are directly where God wants you to be and that you have His heart. Because righteousness does not come with an easy life. In fact, very often it, it, it comes with pain and grief and a longing for what should be. But finally, and I want to end with this, what I have done this morning is dangerous. You know why it's dangerous? I believe that I, I have examined with you the Scriptures and have faithfully presented what is in their pages as we look at these four righteous people and the blessings for their righteousness. I believe that it's there that, that you might be encouraged if you're someone who, who feels that you've always been walking with God through Jesus, but it's dangerous. I've led you deliberately into dangerous ground. Why is it dangerous? It's dangerous because when we see passages like this, there is a part in our heart which is completely and wrongly legalistic. So we come to passages like this and, and we see righteous people encountering Jesus and we think, right, that's how I encounter Jesus. I become more righteous. I know how it works. If I can pursue righteousness like they did, then I'll have God's presence. If I can get my life together like they did, then God will be pleased with me and will love me. If only I can be more disciplined in the spiritual disciplines like, like Anna was. If only I could fast and pray with more diligence or listen sensitively to the Spirit like Simeon, then God will rejoice in me and will be pleased. If only I can have a deep trust and faith like Mary or, or handle myself well in difficult situations like Joseph, then God will call me His child. And he'll be pleased with me. And God will love me. I just have to be more righteous. Or maybe 
The other danger we hear this and we think, well, actually, yeah, that's, I, I, I think I've got this. I am righteous. I, I, it could have been me holding the baby in the temple. Could have been me speaking out to others like Anna. God, God really is happy with me because I am righteous and he loves me more because of it. Can you see the danger? To come at Scripture and say, yes, the righteous are not forsaken. It speaks so deeply to our hearts, which are so often eager to see and to believe that that then means that's how we get to know God. And if we haven't encountered Jesus, or it feels like we haven't encountered Him for a long time, we think, well, I just got to do more. I just got to do more. But this passage, friends, it centers on Jesus. These righteous men and women, their righteousness is demonstrated in the way they respond to their encounter with Jesus. Do you see that? The point is that Jesus is the centerpiece of the righteousness. He is the focus of the camera, not them. It's not their righteousness which ultimately matters. Because the fact is, these, the exceptional righteousness of Joseph and Mary and Simeon and Anna and it was exceptional righteousness, it couldn't save them. It couldn't save them any more than it could save the Roman soldiers. It couldn't save them any more than it could save the prostitute in the streets of Jerusalem or the tax collector betraying his people. They needed consolation and deliverance just as much as anybody else. They needed it, and so it was then as it is now. Your righteousness, your right living, the just way you conduct yourself in relation to God and others is a beautiful thing. But whether you have the testimony of the stripper or the testimony of the good girl that has always done good things, you need God's righteousness. And you can't earn it. The Apostle Paul, who knew this better than anybody else perhaps, he says this in Romans 3, let me, let me read it and listen and put it in this context for yourself. Romans 3, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus as a gift. Your righteous living cannot earn you favor with God. He cannot make him love you more. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that whether you were far off and you were brought close or whether you thought you were close, all of us are united together in God's plan and his salvation and his joy and his glory through the righteousness that God gives us as a gift. This is not undermining uh, the truth that we see in these passages, that there's great benefit in righteousness. If you are someone who has walked closely with Jesus all your life, you miss nothing. 
and you've gained everything. Go and speak to some of those people in our church who have been drawn from far away. Ask them what those years and those things did for them. And they will tell you that you have missing nothing and have gained everything. But, but don't envy those people. Don't envy the Muslim who gets their dream or the prostitute her encounter in the brothel or the drug addict or the alcoholic set free from addictions. Don't envy them. But remember that your righteousness, your true righteousness, is a free gift to God from you, from the Father who loves you before you've done anything right or wrong. From the Father who doesn't love you any less in your worst day and doesn't love you any more on your best. There's beauty and benefit in righteousness. But the righteous rejoice that all who were far off, those who thought they were close, are brought together in the wonderful encounter with Jesus. It's good news. That's the gospel. So you can rejoice in your righteousness this morning. You can rejoice that in many ways you have a righteousness that's greater than Simeon and Anna or Mary and Joseph. Because you have a righteousness which at that point they didn't know. But a righteousness is made yours. Did you hear that last bit of the Romans reading? By the gift of Jesus as a propitiation by his blood. That's the righteousness we enjoy and we celebrate. That's the righteousness on which we stand. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. And I'll close with this. For our sake... He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. That we might become the righteousness of God. Are you serious, Father? That we might become your righteousness? The righteousness of God, with all our brokenness, with all our legalism, with all our, our pride, with all, all the things that, that, that dishonor you in our lives, that we might become the righteousness of God. How we thank you, Lord, for an encounter with Jesus. How we thank you, Lord, for the righteousness that he gives, which is far greater than that of our own we might become the righteousness of God. And Father, we pray this morning for those people who are tempted in our church to think that their testimonies are boring, that they become the righteousness of God and it's boring. Father, would you help us, those of us in that boat, to, to see that your righteousness given to us as a free gift, not that we've earned, is beautiful. And that in righteousness, in right living, there is great benefit. Lord, how we pray that as a church we'd hunger and thirst for righteousness. That we'd be a church that is obedient to the law. We'd be a church that, that is living in obedience to Christ, showing our love for Him in that obedience. And that in that, Lord, we, we might demonstrate the righteousness of God in a beautiful, pure, clear way to the world around us. There's benefit in righteousness. Those who hunger for righteousness will be filled.
And Father, we thank you that, that there are many in our church who were far off and have been brought close through the righteousness of Jesus. And these also become the righteousness of God. And we thank you for Simeon, Anna, Joseph and Mary. We look forward to meeting them, to hearing their stories of grace. And we thank you for their encounters which we see in the Bible this morning. Touch our hearts. Let us sing for joy. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.